The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally here in Tallahassee at 89.7 FM. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 podcast network that we have here at WVFS. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Returning to the host chair tonight, I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Luke Hazen. Officially, and I think I'm allowed to say this now, I, I respect Gabe Tisnes, my, my co-host who, who filled in for me last week. I respect him uh, for, for kind of uh, beating around the bush and not re- revealing what I was going through last week when I, when I took the week off. But I did, in fact, have COVID. I was diagnosed with, or not diagnosed, but I, I tested positive for it uh, a couple Fridays ago. And so Gabe and Brett did a phenomenal job filling in for me. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him his props in just a second there. But I'm officially off of COVID Island. And boy, did I pick a time to be sidelined when it comes to the conversations surrounding the Florida State football program here in Tallahassee. Uh, a, quite an interesting time, in a word. To, uh, to be a, a Florida State fan, to cover the program, even from the outside to kind of, you know, analyze what has gone wrong here at Florida State. Uh, we are really going to get into how sideways things have gotten here, as well as recapping just a great weekend of sports in general at the, at the collegiate and pro levels of, of football and, and much, much more. And man, did I miss saying that in the week that I was off. And I, I also apologize if I sound a little bit stuffy. I'm still still battling the, the lingering effects of COVID. I've got it way, you know, I'm, I'm still blessed. I've got it way better than some others have. But uh, I did, in fact, miss doing this. Uh, but first, what is it, Captain, without his his crew? Uh, my co-host, the real MVP, Gabe Tisnes. How you doing, buddy? You know, Luke, it's good to see you again. And talking about being around the bush, <laughs> interesting is a good way to put how the state of FSC football is right now, but uh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to see you once again, and happy to see some of your faces in the show as well. We'll get into that in a little bit, but yeah, it's been another great weekend of sports here. Um, yeah, I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, I, I, I you know, for, first I just want to ask you before we get to our, to our panelists here, how was hosting for the first time, kind of taking that on and having to break down Possibly the worst loss in FSU history last week against Jacksonville State. It was quite quite the the setting for me to walk into, but I gotta say it was so much fun. I I usually have a lot of fun on the show, but it was just different being able to like actually kind of like be the point guard of the show and, and you know kind of dish out uh, the assists here and there. And but I mean I gotta start off by saying shout out to Brett Rutherford. Thank you so much, Brett. I, if you're listening to this, I I can't thank you enough for everything they've done for the station, but just for filling in in the first month or so. Um, you've helped me and Luke and, and the rest of the crew so much, so we greatly appreciate it. That's off to Brett and his hot takes and hot picks <laughs> that he that kind of became a segment here. Hopefully, we can get him back on soon. If nothing else, to give us give us where he's leaning with the numbers over the the coming weeks. Uh, of course, not gambling advice. Uh, <laughs> but you're right, Gabe. We do have some new faces back in the studio. Uh, a couple a couple of new panelists to the show. Well, not new for for this guy right here in in Max Runda Rundi. Um, it's certainly not your first time being on the show as a panelist, uh, but when was the last when was the last time you were here in the studio? 
breaking um, down for the last time i was probably here in the studio was the end of the spring semester but i've yet to do it outside of the fish tank so being actually in here in the studio with you guys it feels so much different there's so much more energy in here and it's so much easier to flow the conversation i'm really excited to be back oh yeah well we're glad to have you here max and, and hopefully you can show our other panelists here the ropes of, of what it's like to be a panelist on the show uh jackson bakich welcome to the show man i appreciate it i'm very blessed to be on here yeah and this is your this is your first semester as being a part of the radio station here uh what, what are you most look looking forward to being a panelist kind of being at wvfs as we get into it well, I'm just really looking forward to maybe matching Brett and his hot takes. So we'll see how that goes. No, but really, I'm just really excited to uh, really enjoy the radio station for what it is and be a part of something really special. It's a, it's a tall task matching Brett there. I'm sure you'll be up to the task, though. Uh, also in the studio, as always, Sebastian Andriano. He's kind of back in the prod booth, along with our actual producer, uh, Scott Clemens, on the ones and twos there. Uh, they are always, always such an essential part to our our squad and what we we try to do here on Tomahawk Talk. So shout out to Sebastian. He might join us a little bit later to break down a, a full NFL slate. Uh, and shout out to Scott Clemens, always making sure that we get the podcast out on time and, and the show. But fellas, I think, you know, we're almost eight minutes in the show. We're tired of beating around the bush. Let's get into this. Um, wow. I, I come back from, from COVID and after a, a pretty positive loss, I hate moral victories, but it was a moral victory against Florida State. And since then... It's kind of all been thrown away for the Florida State program. Losing on a last second, uh, not a Hail Mary, a play to Jacksonville State. Just a four, ver four vertical play. And then uh, Saturday's effort against Wake Forest up in Winston-Salem. 35-14 to Demon Deacons is your final score as Florida State falls to 0-3 for the first time since Bobby Bowden's first year as the head coach back in 1976. That is the last time Florida State has had this many losses to start a season. Um, where to begin, guys? Where to begin? Once again, for about the fifth straight season that I can remember, uh, it's kind of been grand opening, grand closing for this Florida State program and the things that they wanted to accomplish, at least in the wins and in the W's and L's column for a season, once again, just falling flat on their face in the month of September, really getting no positive momentum going forward um and this was kind of you know Jacksonville State is unacceptable losing to an FCS team like that but I thought this was by far their worst effort of the year in, in just the way that the game played out uh so Gabe first just off the top of your head watching that game on Saturday what what stuck out to you what what on earth has gone wrong for Florida State well perhaps with the terrible effort that you mentioned maybe the worst coaching performance of the, of the season so far I have to start with Adam Fuller because last week we talked all about uh, the defensive coordinator in Dillingham and obviously the last play, but just overall kind of the last fourth quarter, the last quarter and, and just how that game went down. But yeah, I mean, the offense has been unbelievably bad this last two weeks. And I think it all has to do with, with whoever's calling the plays. Obviously Norvell was brought in for the offensive boost and all that, but I guess Adam Fuller is just going to have to be the sacrificial lamp because it doesn't seem like the offense is trending in the right direction. But more importantly, they don't really have the identity right now because their quarterback situation is so abysmal. They don't know which way to go. And it's not like they have that much talent so they can just go in either direction they want. But right now, they they don't know what to do on third and short, which is something that they actually did well last year. So if you're not going to do well on third and short, you know, they, they were – they have now – combined for one of nine on third and short in the last two weeks two plays of those including 
well, I guess there were fourth downs, but uh, just including them in the money down section, they they did a QB sneak on fourth and or yeah, I think it was like by the end zone basically. It was fourth and goal. Yeah, fourth and goal. Yeah, and they did a QB sneak with Mackenzie Milton. He has not really been <laughs> the the QB sneak magician. Uh, he's not a running quarterback. And then you you throw him out there with a QB keeper, a QB power on on a fourth and two near near the red zone as well. And and that's how you lose games. That's how you you don't even get close. To, to competing with Wake Forest, and there, there's so much more to talk about. But overall, I, I don't understand how is, how is it possible that, that this is the best that FSU can put out. And we can talk about the players putting in the effort, but right now I don't see players getting schemed wide open. I don't see players being put in positions to win. Uh, and obviously we've talked about the penalties for years and years, but even this season it seems to continue to be a trend. So I put that all on coaching this week. I, I can't harp on them enough. It seems like the last three games you could sort of point to coaching as, as kind of head-scratchers and the reason why Florida State is losing. Like, let's just face it. These players, no matter what their skill level is, and it's not a very high skill level when it comes to FBS football, uh, they are not being put in the right positions by this coaching staff. Offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, doesn't matter. Pick your coordinator. It doesn't matter. They are not being put in the positions to go out and win games that should be winnable like like a Jacksonville State, like a Wake Forest team that, let's face it, is not that good. Especially compared to Wake Forest teams in the past that have given Florida State trouble. This is not a really well-rounded or, or talented team that they lose by 21 to. Um, I, I was taking notes for this game, sitting on my couch, what else is there to do when you're quarantined? I was glued to the, the TV the entire day. Uh, the one thing I could come up with, like, what was the plan? I scribbled that down in huge letters. What was the plan on offense? going into this game. You have an entire week to prepare for Wake Forest. I mean, hypothetically, you were kind of preparing for Wake Forest when you decided to screw around against Jacksonville State and, and, and you know, trick you know work on all these different plays and, and try to work out the kinks in the offense against Jacksonville State. Well, where was that plan that you were working on this entire time when it comes to Wake Forest? Because Mackenzie Milton starts this game. They remove the, the on the depth chart, the... Mackenzie Milton or Jordan Travis, they hand him the full range to start this game. The running back, not even Mackenzie Milton, makes a mistake on the first drive of the game, and they pull him. Like, I, I, I do not know what uh, Kenny Dillingham was thinking. Really didn't get any clarification from him in, in today's press conference as to what Florida State was looking to accomplish with their game plan on offense this week. It's, it's, it's really, really frustrating to see kind of the development that the, the offense is sort of wearing the black hat and taking most of the blame as we get further along to the season. It's less about the defense. I wasn't mad at the defense nearly as much as the offense uh, in this game. Uh, real quick, Jackson, watching that game, I mean, what is there to say? Like, this coaching staff has put themselves in a gigantic hole for the rest of the season. Someone's eventually going to have to wear it in terms of, of leaving. But I just want to get your initial thoughts on this game, man. Well, from what I saw, it was just a lack of being able to make adjustments in-game. Yep. From what I saw, it seemed as though we were sticking to a plan that wasn't working, and even when we tried to make adjustments, it looked like we were trying to throw crap at a wall and see what would stick. It didn't seem like we had any sort of fungible backup plan in any of our situations. And from what really what I've seen from these last three games, just consistent inconsistency. I thought the players played great week one, but we're let down by coaching decisions. You know, we talk about the third and 17. Uh, we send an all-out blitz. Week two, I think the players underperformed, but 
they played well enough to win the game. Coaching decisions lost them that game as well. And from what we saw in this Wake Forest game, you know, like we were saying, we were swapping quarterbacks on what seemed like every drive in the first quarter, running with McKenzie Milton on fourth and two, in a multitude of situations in which the coaches failed to adjust, like I said. However, on the same token, the Knolls failed to get any sort of penetration, were beat often on one-on-ones, and couldn't get any form. Couldn't get any form of a running game going. And so this, fo- this week, in my opinion, it, it wasn't necessarily the X's and O's, but it was the Jimmy's and the Joe's. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Max, real quick, when, when you're observing this game, not, I think we can all agree that the, the offense was the more underwhelming uh, aspect of this game this week, I think. But where on offense do you do you sort of point the finger? Does it start with quarterback player? Does it just start from a, a philosophical standpoint with with how this offense is is you know for lack of a better term being mismanaged by the coaching staff? I think, and I'll start with this something you uh, chimed in on at the beginning of the show. It it seems like such a poor way to honor Bobby Bowden by going zero and three to start the year. Tip the cap, man. I mean, you got to do what you got to <laughs> do, but this is not what I would have done. Would have done, but. When it comes to the offense, when it comes to the offense, I would just say it's it's weird how much faith they provided Milton this for this game specifically when it was so inconsistent beforehand. And Milton came out and struggled, whether it was three plays, five plays, whatever. Travis came out and threw a dime. Tra- Travis is a running quarterback. By nature, he's always been a running quarterback, borderline running back, I would argue. And he comes out and throws... He was looking great. Goes five of six, one of seven. His only non-completion was the Hail Mary interception at the end of the half. Like, they just have to be more willing to trust Travis, I would say. And that's not to say forget Milton. I like Milton. Milton can do a lot of things that Travis certainly can't. It comes back to what we were talking about with making adjustments. We just fail to make these rapid adjustments. And even when we do, we were talking about this before the show, we're making the wrong ones. Ward. Ward, six rushes for 48 yards. That's an average of eight. Why are we giving it to Corbin so much? Why are we giving it to Toafili or Tra- Travis? is a bit different, but they got to keep feeding Ward if he's going to go out there and keep succeeding like he was doing. I just don't get it at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think FSU right now, on the offense side of the ball, when, they, when it comes to game planning with these quarterbacks, I think they're in a really, really precarious decision that they have to make because there's, I, I think there's an elephant in the room. And that elephant is that Mackenzie Milton, even though he was brought in as a transfer to sort of be a band-aid that, that patches up that quarterback room for this Florida State team, uh, has severely underwhelmed, in my opinion, in, in, in terms of his availability and being able to play for, for long stretches of the game and, and also... Uh, Throwing the ball, I mean, he, listen, he had a two QBR on a scale of zero to hundred. He has a two QBR in in the game against Wake Forest after kind of being underwhelming, leading the way uh, again after Jacksonville State. At the same time, your other quarterback is banged up every single game. He cannot finish a full game either. So you have two two quarterbacks that you really can't play for an entirety of a game. And if you bench one of them and you you start to work on development. Uh, developing the rest of the quarterback room for the rest of the season, which it's looking like Florida State might have to do in a couple weeks if you fall to, you know, dare I say it, like 0-5 or something like 0-6. Chubba, 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 choo-choo, baby. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, But you can't do that. You can't go to Chubba Purdy and sit Mackenzie Milton, 
who was brought in as this really, really, probably the most famous person that's... Tr- I'm, uh, that's kind of blasphemous towards uh, Justin Fields there. But one of the most famous quarterbacks to transfer just based off of his repertoire that he had at, at UCF. Uh, if you bench him, what kind of message is that going to send to other people in the transfer portal? Especially moving forward as the transfer portal gets more and more popular to go into. Players that Florida State is going to need to make a difference on future rosters. Uh, it's just a really tough situation because I don't think either quarterback is the answer. Jackson? And also, what kind of message is that sent to your team after one drive you're already getting benched? What what kind of message does that uh, yeah. send to everybody? I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I didn't get the decision after after Jay Sean Corbin fumbles on the first drive of the game to, to bench Mackenzie Milton. My only argument would be that, or not even an argument, my only thing that I could point to is like, oh, that was the oh that was the game plan heading into the game that you were going to switch every other drive. You were going to switch Travis and Milton, not let either one of them get enough reps to to really uh, gain any confidence. Uh, Gabe, where do I, I don't know what to say about this this quarterback room or, or really the the offensive game uh, plan? I got general. you. I got you. <laughs> Five letters: R E L A X. Relax. Just relax. How? I mean, I, I don't know how you're relaxing. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, we have a Packers fan in the in the in this in the studio, so no, I I don't know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's been three weeks of you know us talking about the quarterback situation, and and there's not much we can come up with really. Is, is it as simple a fix as to just start running the ball, or is Florida State so outmatched on their injured offensive line that was already kind of sem- like semi talented is a is an endearing word for them? Uh, is it as simple as just running the ball constantly and not putting your quarterbacks in position to get hit, dropping back? I mean. It's tough because you have two quarterbacks that are very much different. So once you put one of them in the game, the whole philosophy of the, of the, of the football team should shift. And if it doesn't, then that's a, a question for the coach. But let's say it does, then you have, say, Jordan Travis. And you're, you're throwing deep bombs every once in a while. The receivers might catch them, receivers might not because they're not that good anyway. And that's why McKenzie's struggling as well. If you're on the ball all the time, then, yeah, you might have more time of possession. You have 39 minutes of time possession the last game and that's mostly because they they fell uh you know by by halftime the game was not over but it was definitely not within grasp so so you start throwing the ball so it's just a matter of actually establishing the running game at the start of the game but but that comes down to like what identity does your team have and Florida State doesn't have one and that's why I keep harping on the coaching because if you don't have an identity then what happens when things go wrong and then we talk about in-game adjustments and then (laughs) that's just another can of worms yeah. Florida State doesn't seem to have any answers to, to so many questions. I, I just I, I don't want to keep talking. There's so much negativity right now. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't help either. That I I really don't think they're helping themselves, the coaching staff, especially Mike Norvell. When you get up to the podium on, on days after the game and uh, days like today on Monday that he, he went to the, the podium, and he's talking about wanting to build an identity as a team, while at least on offense, while also – saying that he wants to experiment and get people the ball, get his playmakers the ball to put his players in a, in a more uh, advantageous situation. Well, that's what, you know, like, that's what Summer was for. That was what a uh, weekly install was for. Like, how has this not already been harped on? How has this team not already formed an identity? I, I really think it's simple. You're bread and butter right now. What you're having the most success with is running the football, you know, whether that be in between the tackles or, or scripting and scheming different ways to, to get your runners in position to, to make plays. Because let's face it, they are seriously undermanned at the receiver position. Just no guys, aside from a couple you know, huge gadget plays, uh, no real playmakers getting open down the field. 
which is kind of what Mackenzie Milton is for. He can't run, and Travis is banged up all the time. So, Jackson, why not just stick with the running game? It seems like the, like every time that something, you know, semi-bad goes wrong, they have completely abandoned. I don't get it. Well, I think the problem with the two-quarterback system is that when we put in Mackenzie Milton, they're thinking, all right, well, they're going to pass. And when we put in Jordan Travis, they're thinking, all right, well, we're, they're going to run. And that makes us... While that sounds like we're two-dimensional, it's really one-dimensional just depending on what quarterback you're in. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we have McKenzie Milton. He's a great talent. Um, Even if he can be 75% of what he was when he was at UCF, which was a great, you know, Heisman contending talent, I just, it's hard to stick to the running game when you've brought him from UCF to be that passing guy. And it's just having two quarterbacks doesn't allow for a nice flow of the game, and it doesn't allow for that running game to really get going. Yeah. Uh, Max? I just want to say, and as much as this coaching staff really does deserve this scrutiny we're giving them, it comes down to the players on the field executing what they're being told, and that is simply not happening. I agree. I think this team is much too young, much, like they don't have the discipline, maturity, or experience out there to execute these mid-game Uh, transitions and adjustments that we're talking about and as much as we can and rightfully so blame the coaches it's just I just watch this team and it's just it doesn't even seem like a talent thing per se because don't get me wrong the FSU football team talent wise is not off the charts but they're definitely not one of the worst their defense is supposed to be pretty good this year and their defense looked horrible their defense was bad like Whoever was trying to guard Wake Forest's A.T. Perry, he had seven receptions for 155 yards. I think they put Brownlee and Jerry and Jones yeah. on him. Yeah, Brownlee's getting Brownlee. a lot, a lot, a lot of, of of hate because of how he's played the last couple weeks. I, you know, I can't defend him per se. He's been getting cooked. I don't know. I think I think that this this team and, and the way that they set the tone on Saturday started and ended with the offense and, and just their inability. The defense was on the field forever. Like, no college defense is going to, to make a stand like that if they're on the field for that long. I completely And also with six tur- like six turnovers can't happen yes. if you want to win a ball game. The turnovers are the big one because when you give them that short field, it's, it's very hard to stop. But these open field tackles is what kills me with FSU football. I, I truly don't think I've seen an organized football team just struggle consistently with just basic football stuff. Like, wrap him up. Don't just hit him. Like, t- p- bring him to the ground if he's in the end zone. Don't let him fall forward. Push him back. It's just too many times this defense, which I I came to the year with a, not the highest expectations offensively. It's kind of living up to that. But the defense, I I thought I saw a ranking that Florida State was like, a top 30 class for their rookie or for their freshman this year defensively and I'm not seeing a big difference no I, th- I you know stars are one thing counting up you know where your where your rankings are in terms of freshmen but it's all about development man like once they get on campus and what kind of positions are the coaching staff putting them in like we have to think like these are 18 to 21 year old kids like not everyone is going to be completely focused at the start like you need that coaching staff to really bear down and, and kind of install that things in you from the you know a, a, an early point uh, as we kind of get towards the end of the first half here, Gabe. Let, let's talk less about the game and more uh, going forward. This season going forward <laughs> like that. 
Mike Norvell, I think he's. I think we can all agree he's kind of squandered whatever trust that Florida State fans had had built up, you know, through the off season, through the spring game, through the Notre Dame game. That has all been blown away in the last two weeks. Uh, what do you need to see from this team moving forward for the rest of the season to kind of instill that faith back in you and what you think that the fan base will, will, will latch on towards? What, like anything, what what are they looking for? I, I don't know. I, I, I would say wins. I would say effort. But neither of them seem realistic. So I'm asking for too much, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would say, I mean, if you can establish a good quarterback, a single quarterback. I, I'm I'm done with the two quarterback system. I've never enjoyed it, and I personally don't see how either quarterback is going to go further into next year. So it might just be time to start looking into Chuba and Tate Rodemaker. Um, it just it's definitely too early, but that's where that's where FSU's at. But frankly, I mean, just setting a good culture for next year and, and trying to to do as much damage control as you can, so that like we've talked about, the transfers don't get scared away by by the, the catastrophe that the season is but also i mean it's just a very big letdown for all the fans that have been waiting for over a year after the, the pandemic to come back and this is the product they have to watch every saturday so frankly i i think there's not much mike can do right now but he's probably going to be able to finish the season which is more than most people can can you know give him right now so yeah, I, I think financially speaking, it doesn't make any sense to fire Norvell, especially after the last couple of years that Florida State has had uh, financially with the pandemic and having to pay a coach that is no longer employed by Florida State. Um, Jackson, what are you looking forward to the rest of the season? I, like, we have to throw wins and losses out the window. I don't think, you know, losing a game or winning a game is going to make much of a difference. You lost to Jacksonville State. Like, you, you lose all benefit of the doubt when it comes to wins and losses. But... We'll go to Jackson first, and then Max. What are a couple things you're looking forward to development-wise for this program uh, that could that could sort of reinstill that trust in Mike Norvell? Well, like you said, number one, wins and losses. We could lose every single game from here on out. What the fans want to see is, I know it sounds cliche, but just we don't want to see the players giving up. It seems like when they get down, they become disinterested. It, lo- it looks like they they lack effort. But second. We want them to play good football. We want them to play. We want them to be in every game that they can be close in. We want them to be a respectable football team. Like I said, the, the wins and losses don't matter at this point. What the fans want to see is a team that comes out with a game plan, a team that comes out and executes to the best of their ability. Doesn't matter the opponent. A team that looks respectable on the field. Yeah. Max and I think building off that. If one of these remaining games did matter enough for the win-loss column, one of these games where, yeah, you can execute everything perfectly, the one thing I think that will regain this trust in Norvell, this support from the uh, FSU students and alum and everyone showing out to the Doak Campbell Stadium, is just a good game. I would really love a win, but a good game against Miami at home this year. That at the end of the season, can turn around the way this entire school thinks about our football team and not just force us into a basketball school, which we've basically become at this point. Here, here's a counterpoint. Have you seen Miami? Like, how impressive... They're like, giving up. Like, if they, if they played Miami close and lose or win, like, what does that really say about the program? Because both of those pro Like, Florida State more so, but Miami is 
both of them are on quit watch for the rest of the season in terms of the program and the players playing for them. I, I don't know how impressive that would that would really go, though. See, but I think the thing is, when it comes down to specifically the students here, it would just be so entertaining. It would bring so much energy back to that stadium. Like, Notre Dame, that game, if you were lucky enough to attend it, was probably the best game I've ever been at in Doak Campbell, and it might be that. Sadly, it might be that way for a long time coming, too. And if we can have another game at Doak Campbell, anything resemblant to it against Miami, it, it's over. And and building off what you're saying, Miami is quitting. I watched a lot of that game against Michigan State this weekend. They had so many opportunities. They really did. Yeah, that was a uh, quite clearly an ugly performance. Gabe, one last thing before we get a break. As always, good teams cover. Good teams win. Great teams cover. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Well. That is going to do it for the first half, talking about Florida State football uh, here on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, we will be back with a little more roundup of, of the week that was in college football and, and also talking some NFL news uh, as you are listening to Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back for the second half here on Tomahawk Talk. I am joined by Gabe Tisnes, uh, Jackson Bakich, and Max Rundy. Uh, we, sort of a cathartic... Kind of a Debbie Downer first half. I hate to do it, man, uh, when we're talking about Florida State here. But we're going to get into some game picks for this week's game against Louisville. Louisville comes to Tallahassee coming off a really exciting win against UCF. I don't know if you guys saw that game on Great Friday game. night. Great game. Really depressing to find out Dylan Gabriel, uh, I think, completely ter- or completely breaks his collarbone uh, on the final kind of lateral play for, for the UCF Golden Knights. Uh, shout out to Luke Faye. Thoughts and prayers are with you as your you, uh, your nights go down. But um, Louisville comes into Florida State uh, as a two-point favorite against uh, the Knowles this weekend. Really quick, I just want to get you guys' read on that on that game and uh, some picks here. Gabe? I have not, not much to say. I'm just going to go Louisville 33, FSU 27 because I... I, I Maybe I'm the the lucky charm of this team. I don't know. I've been pretty <laughs> optimistic this this first three weeks, and it does not seem to be working right now. First so. engineer in there, uh, Jackson. I think this FSU team is going to come back into Doak, have a little bit more energy, have something to play for. I think when they get on the road, they can get a little distracted. I see Florida State coming out on top, twenty three eighteen. Twenty three eighteen. All right, Max. I'm gonna have to side on Gabe's side here. I want to be positive, I really do, but I just I don't see it turning around quite this quickly. I, I think they might give them a bit of that energetic boost in the first half, but FSU's really good at blowing leads. I think this will be a lower scoring one. I'm going to say FSU 13, and we'll wow. give Louisville 30. 30. Wow. How do you that, top that off? <laughs> no, I, that, that's, that puts me in a, in a precarious decision. I I am going to split the vote here. I think Florida State comes out, and I think that they are uh, not on quit watch, unlike Miami. I think Miami's kind of given up on their season already. Uh, Derek King's injured there. But Louisville comes in, exciting game, but that was really sloppy. They probably should have lost that game to UCF if Dylan Gabriel doesn't throw a pick six at the very last second there. They're already in field goal range. Uh, Malik Cunningham is injured, or not, not injured, but he's hurt. He's playing hurt, not injured. Uh, for the Cardinals, that's something to look at, his mobility, because he's, he's cooked Florida State in the past. But A little bit of a hangover game, maybe. Yeah, I think Florida State is still still focused. They still have plenty of, of you know of, of juice left. I think that Florida State wins 
27-23 for their first win of the season against Louisville. We'll see. Can I ask who's the hero? Uh, Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis. Jordan That's Travis what Gambier. I thought. That's exactly <laughs> what I, I thought. I say Jordan Travis. He might not even play. He's still banged up from that Hail Mary throw that he got absolutely leveled on. Um, but we shall see. That is a 3.30 kick in Dote Campbell Stadium. Uh, going from one college football game the few in the future week uh, to the week that was in college football uh, in week three outside of Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. Uh, pretty entertaining slate of games for the most part. Uh, most of the big four, as I like to call them, most of the, the, the teams that we kind of hold on that pedestal in college football, kind of taken to the brink this last weekend. Uh, Alabama goes into the swamp against F- number 11-ranked Florida and, and holds on to win 31-29. Uh, they got off to a really big lead, 21-3, to and there were some really big swings of momentum. Florida comes all the way back to to make it a, a two-point game with a two-point conversion that could tie it and send it overtime, and they, they miss it there. Alabama survives, but I don't know if you guys got a chance to see this game. Uh, Alabama up front, at least. Florida was running it down their throats for the majority of the second half. Uh, is this you know, par for the course? Is this what, what we, we're going to have to keep an eye on for Alabama uh, moving forward in the year game? I don't think so. I don't think so. Alabama, roll tide. They, they, they know what they're doing, <laughs> unlike FSU. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those road games that, I mean, Florida, that's a tough place to play, and you probably know better than anybody. Yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the most exciting atmospheres in college football, and we'll get to another exciting atmosphere in, in, in just a second, but uh, I, I, I do think that, that Alabama doesn't have a whole lot to worry about. It reminds me a lot of, of 29-19 LSU. They played an early game on the road at Texas, Kind of scrambled to win last second, and they they developed and got way better as the season went on there. And this is UF's not not national championship, but it's easily their biggest game. They're going to pull all the all the strings out for 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 Alabama. So I don't think they have to worry about anything. Really. Yeah, they put them tough. We'll see what happens. Florida Georgia down the line. That's going to be another really good game if if Georgia keeps up their pace some. But Jackson, we go from one exciting atmosphere in Gainesville to another one up at State College, Penn State Auburn. Just first of all. What a, what a great start that the kind of the renaissance season uh, college football has had. What a start that they're off to with some of the crowds and some of the electric games and atmospheres that we've seen. Probably none better so far this year than the whiteout at Happy Valley uh, as Penn State holds on to beat Auburn. Really quickly, just, just I don't know if you got a, a chance to see the majority of this game, but really exciting finish. Just talk about how the, you know, the, uh, that crowd up at Penn State. I got to see a decent amount of the game. <clears throat> I, I thought the Penn State atmosphere that whiteout game it's on my bucket list now I, I really thought um, <coughs> I really think that's the most exciting atmosphere in all of college football and that game was it was really interesting it was very entertaining kind of quirky you know the the officials botch a possession for Penn State they have to make them punt on third down that was one of the plays there was a targeting call late in the game mm-hmm. that actually went Penn State's way excuse me Penn State's way but um, by the way we should talk about that at some point maybe maybe later down the road about the targeting, targeting, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's, it's an just, epidemic, is what it is. It, it's an epidemic. It's 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 the case where you you juxtapose the NFL and how they handle those situations with college football, and college football is just amateur hour when it comes to to calling targeting, and especially they just assume the worst out of players that they are trying to like take other kids' heads off. Like that's what they they look at plays like that and they throw the flag because they think that they're like. There's intent to kill someone, which is just not the case, and they really should be completely reversed there. Well, I think it just simply comes down to one of them cares about it way too much, and the other one does not care about it nearly enough. Like, 
you see all the time in college football, just, yeah, some dangerous looking tackles, but nothing that's like too out in, too out in the crazy for football. But, and then foot, the NFL, you see people get laid out, not even a question of a flag. Yeah, they're hitting. They're hitting in the, in, in the league there, Gabe. Obviously, the health of the players is the most important thing, but I mean, the NFL's got a, a taunting problem now, too, so I don't know which one's worse. Yeah, targeting or taunting. Take your pick. Both of them just handled terribly by by the powers that be. Uh, another really interesting game, it was a weird game in that there was an hour and a half to lightning delay. It was on ESPNU, then it went to ESPN2, and it got swung back to ESPN News. Uh, Clemson. Clemson, you know, still trying to gain their, their momentum and their form after losing, getting almost shut out by, by Georgia in their opener. Uh, they went 14-8 to in a dogfight against Georgia Tech, lowly Georgia Tech, <laughs> uh, at home. And I, I don't know what to make of Clemson so far, guys, because there's a lot of promise coming into the season, but quite clearly DJ Oangale, he has not been the answer for Clemson so far that they want if they're going to go and make a push for a national title. I mean, you lose Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, and, and it's not as easy as we thought to fill those shoes. And, I mean, Clemson is going to have to fight for the ACC, which they haven't really been doing for, for the last couple of years. So, I mean, they, they probably still have the, the front seat for, for, the, for that conference, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be that easy. Yeah. Jackson? I would like to say before I say anything else that Florida State has scored more points than Clemson so far this season. <laughs> that is factual. You are not wrong. That is the ultimate silver lining. <laughs> However, they have two more wins than we do. So, Who cares about wins? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Clemson survives. Really ugly game. Stormy, rainy, ugly. Um, one other thing, though, that I wanted to get to with, with, with college football, uh, another game, Ohio State, Sort of working out their their defensive kinks uh, along the way as they went forty one to twenty, but this was like a seven point game in the fourth quarter uh, against Tulsa. Ohio State eventually pulls away forty one to twenty. But in the case of Ohio State and Clemson, I want to compare those two because they had you know early season losses to now top five, top four ranked teams in Oregon and Georgia. Uh, I, I don't know how much even if they pull off the, the uh, you know a. a a huge winning streak here and win the rest of their games this season. I don't know how much it'll matter if Oregon and Georgia keep winning, especially the way that those two teams have performed. You know, a one lo- you know one loss in the Big Ten or the ACC might be game over for you. The the way that they're performing right now, Gabe. Yeah, Ohio State was Brett's pick for the year, so the it, national it, title. It, yeah. it's interesting, but uh, not to, not to crap on him. But uh, yeah, Ohio State seems to be going through a little bit of struggle. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure, once again, if it's coaching or the players, but they're going to have to figure it out because sooner or later the playoff committee is going to start picking their favorites and it might not be them this year. That's what I'm saying. Like if, if, if all things hold, which they won't, it's college football, and Clemson wins out, Ohio State wins out, Georgia wins out. Well, if, they, if Georgia wins out and beats Alabama, then they're, they're locked. But let's just say Georgia wins out and loses to Alabama in the, in the SEC championship, and Oregon wins out undefeated. That's your four right there, I feel like. And yep. Clemson, who has one loss, and Ohio State, who has one loss, as they're currently performing, are going to get left out for Oregon and Georgia, I feel like. Yeah, I think Georgia is going to cement themselves as a two or three. Alabama's probably going to lock up the one by halfway through the season. And then, I don't know, Oklahoma, they, they can still sneak in there. Oklahoma would make a, a, Oklahoma would be more comparable with Oregon, I feel like, yeah, except yeah, yeah. Oklahoma doesn't have the big win 
that or uh, uh, Oregon would have uh, going to Ohio State. I think we we discount that a lot. Like they went into Columbus on their opening day and beat an Ohio State team that had a lot of promise to start the season. Um, we shall see. Really quickly for the last quarter of the show, though, let's talk a little NFL. We had a full slate of games yesterday, and they delivered for the most part. There were a lot of exciting finishes, a lot of surprising box scores, not in terms of who won, but how they did it, uh, emphatically down in South Beach, I might add. Shout out to Gary Putnick and his fins taking the L there. Um, but let's start with Sunday night's game. Again, uh, <laughs> Primetime games this season in the NFL have lived up to the billing, save for an ugly game, Rams-Bears. That was just awful with Andy Dalton starting there. But other than that, they've been kind of electric so far. Bucks-Cowboys lived up, Ravens-Raiders uh, lived up to it, and then last night we get the Chiefs and the Ravens in prime time. Lamar Jackson coming into this game 0-3 in his career against Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes had never lost a game in the month of September as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, And he does it. He pulls out the impossible 36-35 year final from Baltimore in a shootout game that came down to the wire game. Uh, How crazy was this game? Did you you watch for the most part? Yeah, I watched most of it and I actually fell asleep. I, I fell asleep at the wow. end, which was how I know I, I was just exhausted. I'm sorry, but I definitely caught the end and I was pleasantly surprised, pleasantly happy with, with Lamar because he definitely needed that monkey off his back, not just in terms of winning the primetime game, but in terms of actually beating Mahomes. Because at some point, he's going to face him in the playoffs, maybe not this year, but but going forward, it definitely seems like they are the, the face of the AFC. And I mean, Lamar has gotten so much hate just for being a running quarterback. And you know, when we talk about Josh Allen and, and Kyler Murray, they're also running quarterbacks, but uh, obviously Lamar is struggling a little more in the, in, the, in the passing department. So it was definitely nice for him to, to, to clutch out that victory. But I mean, the Chiefs, th- this might be good for them because it's a funny stat, but they've lost two out of the last three games, which is crazy to think about. Very but, true. but yeah, the Chiefs are having a wake up call. This is not going to be the, the same old a- AFC that they've been uh, facing the last couple of years. So I think this is going to be just another motivation for Pat Mahomes and, and probably the defense because that's where they're really lacking right now. Yeah, Sebastian so, now joining us on the, on the panel here. Uh, yeah, what are your takes after, after that huge uh, primetime? So win for I'll be honest. Um, it kind of confirmed some things, and uh, I'd like to start off with respectfully disagreeing uh, with the co-host here. I actually um, don't think that um, this is like a forward step for Lamar Jackson. If anything, it's kind of has opened up my eyes to really what his game is right now and that it's his passing game hasn't it's not so much regression so much as it is stagnation uh you look at other quarterbacks in the afc alone that like uh moving around uh like Allen. and excuse me i said the afc alone but i also was going to refer to kyler murray and uh the common thread between those two is that yes they like scrambling they like running but more importantly they can throw the friggin football they can play the deep ball um, if they have a great vision of the field, and I don't think Lamar has that quite yet. Or at least it's not really changed in his game over the past year and a half. I'd like to uh, defer to someone like Lauren Hafner, our in-house like Baltimore fan, um, because she probably has a little bit better insight from now. But every time I watch uh, Lamar Jackson, it's kind of the same game every time. Uh, he is like Michael Vick in his ground game, where he can just teleport through uh, gaps in 
gaps in the secondary for huge 25-yard runs. But in the air game, it's not nearly as impressive. Both of those interceptions, I honestly think, were his fault in the first half of the game. Absolutely. Whoa, 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 whoa. We got to okay, pump maybe, the maybe, the, we maybe not the, the second one. There. Maybe the second Maybe not the second one. The second one. No, the first one. The first one was not his fault. Sammy Watkins falls on his butt right on the first pass that Lamar Jackson has thrown of the night. You cannot blame that one on him. All right. All right. Still. Like, that. that's a... Uh, he was off target. Here, no, no, no. no. Here's the he thing. Fall over. That's why he was. Here's off the thing. Target. If Sammy Watkins stays up, and I don't want to, I don't want to nitpick interceptions and stuff like that, because I'm, I'm here to refute basically everything Sebastian said there about Lamar Jackson. He's, he is still an MVP caliber player. He is one of the most electric players in the game. And you know, you talk about how you know Lamar can't do what Josh Allen and and Kyler Murray are doing. Because they're able to. I'm move not saying they can't. Work. It's just that they don't like. I don't see it from Lamar nearly as often. Like what Kyler Murray's done in the past two weeks, I haven't seen Lamar do at any point this week. Where it's like he'll, he'll scramble, 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 forty yard completion. Right? Uh, is that sustainable though? Like Lamar Jackson and the way that they run I mean, their offense. I mean, yes, in because Kyler Murray's done this for a full year now. Like yeah, Kyler yeah, Murray did this year. last year. He got, he got hurt last year. The Cardinals didn't make the postseason That's last fair. year, even with him scrambling. One has like DeAndre that. Hopkins. They're, they're, Max, Max, let's go to Max. All right, so. I'm actually on Sebastian's side here. Okay. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, divided. Just not a thrower for me. He's not really. He's. All I'm not. I'm not going to go as radical as you are because I know where you're going with this, and, and I want you to finish your statement. I, I actually. really hope you know where I'm. Exactly I know where you're going, going with this, this, and I actually vehemently disagree because every time yes. somebody proposes this, I think it's a little dumb. But please go ahead. I think he's. I won't call him a wannabe version of this. It's more the other way around, especially now that he's the official backup in New Orleans. He's oh, Taysom no. Hill. No, he, he no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was years, so much worse than I thought years, it was going to be. In five years, he's going to be Taysom. Oh, you, man. You remember, you might What is the hill I'm going to die here on? Last year, I gave a lot of credit to I'm a big Taysom Hill fan. But <laughs> Holy cow, oh, no. Let me go back. I didn't want to take it that extreme, but I just kind of wanted to at that we moment. Have, we have <laughs> entered the twilight zone of uh, Tomahawk I will talk. not lie. He is not that. He's much better than that, but he is not <laughs> a consistent deep ball thrower. He had a wide open pass right to start the game. Blew it 20 yards too far, and then right to Ty- Tyron Matthew. Okay, and then whoa, the second, whoa, whoa, whoa. Second interception was bad. Like whoa, very bad. Whoa, whoa. I don't like where I'm going with this. No, I, I, I'm going to pump. I'm, oh, you know what? Can I can I pump those brakes too? Like, I don't I don't like where this is going. You can back you're, you're on his side now. Here's the no. thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Lamar Jackson is a former MVP. He has clearly shown some capability to throw the football. Agreed. That doesn't matter because guess what? Other quarterbacks can't do what Lamar Jackson does running the football. Even a guy, which is blasphemous to com- compare Lamar Jackson to Taysom freaking Hill. No, that, that is that is an awful comp. No, I ain't doing that. No, he's definitely closer to Mahomes than he is to Taysom Hill. That's, oh, that's, that's for damn sure. But Baltimore, Baltimore, has, whoa, gone, whoa. Baltimore okay. has gone all in on developing an offense that, that completely tailors to what Lamar does best. And it's resulted in a ton of success in MVP. A playoff win now, and who knows what might happen. I mean, they, they beat the Chiefs last night completely undermanned on both offense and defense. Like, I, I don't know. I think potentially we could see Lamar's not an MVP year, but I think this year, given the circumstances going forward, I think we might see Lamar Jackson's best performance this year. So, so um, I do want to agree with uh, Gabe on one thing, and that's that um, like this. it's not really a wake-up call for the, for the Chiefs because, you know, uh, losers need wake up calls. The Chiefs aren't losers. Uh, the Chiefs, the, two of the three losses, well, one of them 
was a Super Bowl loss, which isn't easy to get to in the first place. And the other one was a very well-contested Sunday night football game. Um, ultimately, I don't think that the regular season playbook of, you know, Tyreek Hill is down there somewhere in the fourth quarter and just letting the magic happen. Some well, You like, saw it last night. They doubled Tyreek yeah. for, for the majority of the game. He had, what, five receptions for 30 yards, something like that yeah. stat line. They, Baltimore made sure that was going to be the one dude that didn't beat them. Yeah, the and I'm not, I'm not doubting the Chiefs' offense by any means. No, they no, scored I, 35. I, but I'm agreeing defense. with you where it's like there, it, there is like – there's a switch that like championship winning teams can can flick on. Yeah, right? but I think and and the Chiefs do not like flicking that switch on regularly. You'll see it, the person who embodies his best is is Tom Brady. I hate I hate going with the Bradyisms as uh, you wear as a Tom I, Brady as I am wearing a Tom Brady jersey right now. But um, you know that there is a reason why you don't hand over the football to to Tom Brady with under four minutes to go because he will get downfield, he will score, and and Mahomes was the same way. That's why uh, Harbaugh and and Jackson go like, hey, do you want to go for it on the that fourth? Was a great moment. Yeah, that was a great moment, like a Hollywood moment for a Hollywood game, honestly. Um, where do you want to go for it? And they went for it and they got it. Uh, that's because you don't you don't want to willingly hand over the ball the football to Patrick Mahomes. I. I I don't know. This isn't a wake up call, but it is like a, you know, if they if they keep keep mucking about, they're going to run get into trouble. They're yeah. going to get burned in big games. So Max, let me ask you this though: We talk about a f- a switch needing to be flipped for the Kansas City Chiefs and how they're able to to flip that switch on any time they want, and they're just not ready to. Well, that hasn't been the case the last couple of Septembers for Kansas City. I mean, Patrick Mahomes had never lost a game in the month of September. He had never thrown an interception in the month of September until last night. So, you know, if if they've had that switch flip for the last couple of years, maybe this just isn't as good a team as they have fielded the la- in the last couple of years. I think you are dead on right there. I think they lost some, like, low-key important players. They lost wide receiver depth. They completely changed their O-line, but it looks like for the betterment, but it's still a whole new That might system. take a couple of, of weeks exactly, to, to yes. develop there. And the big problem, as Gabe was talking about at the beginning, their defense is the worst it's been in the past two years, I would argue. I think, I think, honestly, I really hope this happens because you don't see it in the NFL very often. I think the Chiefs make a trade deadline acquisition, and a big one. You're talking about on the defensive side? On the defensive side. They have to, I feel. I, I just don't know who you would lean toward. I don't you even, talking about getting a pass rush or something like that? Either uh, one. I mean, I, I, they're just not that strong either way, I feel. All yeah. right, since we're on the topic, who, who's coming out of the AFC? We're, are we just going to do this? No, <laughs> no, 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 it's, no. It's way, 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 way too early. We'll we got a lot of football street. to go Although through. I would say Kansas City, if you've had to put me on exactly. the spot today. like yeah, Exactly. But it is something interesting to look forward to. Another interesting – this one just stood out to me because it was so jarring in the way that they they beat this team. Oh, uh, was it Carolina? Bill, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> not in Carolina. Saints, unfortunately, fall to the, the, the Panthers. I, yeah, I want to see Jameis succeed. I want to see Jameis. That's have a good fair. Game. I mean, I have such a love hate with ja- love hate relationship with Jameis that I could go on for hours about, but I'm not going to. I just I needed to get my licks in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, but I'm talking about the game down in South Beach. Bills beat the Dolphins 35 to nothing. It's n- not a whole lot to talk about except for the fact that O line was melted. It was weird seeing the Bills compare to the Dolphins yet again as Josh Allen wins his seventh game against Miami. He is 7-0 and all-time against Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins when he takes uh, the quarterback position for the Bills. Uh, if you're a Dolphins fan today, after seeing that performance, I know Tua goes out early with the injury, but that's part of the concern. Like Looking at who you're going to have to face going forward in this AFC East, 
are Dolphins fans starting to get a little buyer's remorse in, in A, drafting to a compared to the other quarterbacks that were in that draft, and also B, sticking with him after seeing the quarterbacks taken in last year's draft, Gabe? I mean, the quick, the quick answer is obviously, yeah, you'd rather have Justin Herbert at this point in the careers. But I think you still have to have patience with Tua. I mean, what else are you going to do? You had your chance to draft another quarterback in the past draft, and you didn't. So now you have to keep going forward unless Tua completely like just goes into dumpster fire mode. But either way, I think this, this has more to say with, with the state of Miami uh, than it has about Tua because 35 nothing. you have Jacoby Brissett. He's not the best quarterback in the world, but he's definitely like competent enough to the point where he can score a point. And so I don't know. I think expectations in Miami have to be tempered once again, which is not something we've said before, or it, it is something that we have said before. Yeah, coming off a 10-6 and six season, like there was reason for Dolphins fans to be a little more excited this year and then to go out against the team that you're competing against in that division and lay an egg like that at home, Sebastian, it is a little concerning, right? Yeah, uh, I would I would tentatively agree. I think the the Tua injury is more concerning. I mean, I, mites and maybes don't matter in the NFL. Um, you know, Nick Saban might have been a coach for Miami once upon a time, um, but it doesn't really pan out that way. Ultimately, um, you want. Like, I, I, the problem with this week's game for for Miami was just the oh, I honestly pin it on the O line more than the quarterbacks. Um, that O line disappeared. They might as well have just like put up like uh, you know those little bollards that you use in training uh, that you just kind of push um, for, for as a as a workout. But because that O line didn't exist, no quarterback could have done anything with that. If you put Patrick Mahomes past that, he runs for 700 yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of 600 like he did in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, there, there is ultimately like games where they are just unplayable. Jacoby Brissett is, Jacoby Brissett sucks, but he does not like giving him that O line would not help at all. Yeah. Um, ultimately, um, you have to, you have to, you know, put a rookie through his motions. You have to give him time. That's and, the thing, though. He's not a rookie anymore. Like we had this last a, season. He hasn't played a full season. He hasn't played. A, he hasn't played. Well, a full whose season. fault is that? Like he was getting benched for Ryan that's, Fitzpatrick. That's well, Fitz, well, yeah. Fitzmagic's <laughs> own doing. Max, we'll, we'll, we'll end. We'll end the show with you and and your take on this. I I actually really like what the Dolphins have been building over the past couple of years, and I really am on the side that they just gotta keep giving Tua opportunities. He hasn't had this offense that long. It's it's like. When you look back on the Jameis and the Bucks and the Mariota and the Titans experiment, they gave both those guys tons and tons of time to succeed before giving up on them, before trading them for Watson, which, don't get me wrong, I think Watson will always be better than what Tua will become. But I just think, I think he just needs way more time, way more time. But Coming then, off injuries all over the place. I think that's the most deceptive 10-6 and six, um I think I've ever seen. It, ultimately, it's it's just by sheer dumb luck that they, well, they had a they had a part to play in it. If they would have won their last game, they would have been into the playoffs. Yeah. But um, ultimately, that that is a very like deceptive ten and six because because in and the the witching hour where a QB you know really goes through his motions and and learns the most, I think. Um, he's pulled for for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it was clear that that uh, organization prioritized winning games over developing their quarterback. That's fine, that's good, but you also just I don't know. I think I think to uh, to uh, yeah, uh, I get the 
anger when you ask, hey, uh, this guy needs more time, but how much is more time? We're on year three now. I get it. Yeah. I really do get it. But at the same time, like, he, he's got a lot to learn, I think. I, I think he, I don't know. Yeah. I, I th- we, we shall see going forward. I mean, you look at the, a team like the Cardinals. They draft Josh Rosen. They admit that they got it wrong. Very next year, boom, they're drafted Kyler Murray. Because they, you know, they realize that this is a make-or-break league. You know, in, in one or two seasons, your entire franchise could be de- derailed. So we shall see going forward. That is all the time we have on Tomahawk Talk tonight, though. Thank you, everyone, who, who decided to tune in as we break down Florida State's uh, interesting season going forward. A lot of things to still discuss uh, after next week's Louisville game. But for myself, Luke Hazen, back in the studio tonight, uh, as a survivor, uh, to my co-host Gabe, uh, Sebastian, Max, Jackson over here, thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, this has been Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.